Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. All right, so by uh, show of hands, uh, I'm, I'm looking at two different archetypes here. I'm looking at the, the, the notion of a savior and the notion of a hero. Okay, by show of hands, I know it's radio. By show of hands, who thinks the, the deciding archetype will be the savior? Yep, yep, I see that, yep. All right, and who thinks the saving archetype will be the hero? Yep, very nice, very nice. But it shucks. I'm not so sure either one of those are going to do the trick. I mean, if if you look at the savior archetype, which we've looked at quite a few times on the show, I mean, some of the most uh, powerful savior um, teachings, and I can go only from my own example here, is is the Jesus Christ Christian narrative. Now, he said we we can perform miracles and do everything that he has done and more and more. So when he was when he was on the cross, spending his last days on the planet, the Roman the Roman war machine was expanding its its quest to conquer more countries. The war machine on the planet was expanding. So as a, quote, savior, unquote, as an individual persona, like some individual persona, like a savior, is going to come into the collective narrative. A single persona is going to whoop out their magic wand and go praying, and the collective consciousness is going to transmute into heaven on earth. Yeah, I'm saying uh, probably no. And even if he's going to super savior school right now, no disrespect intended, the idea of a single persona, be it the hero or the savior, can't sustain in the collective. I mean, how many times there's a show, uh, I love working in TV because I've seen so flipping many shows, like 10 people won the lottery, you know, millions of dollars. And the show followed them, and within years, nine out of the 10 people were back to being broke, except now all their relationships were trashed because it all became about money. In other words, from my perspective, they couldn't embody the change of lifestyle. So if we think of the change of lifestyle that humanity might be hungry for, a more authentic narrative, a more authentic story or vision of our future that supports and nurtures us and is in harmony with nature, well, that sounds like an inside job, inside you and inside me, not some external persona. I think this, the dun, da, 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 savior of humanity will be humanity itself, because if we can't embody it as humanity, we can't sustain it. Even if a savior came in and dumped a lot of resources to, to transmute just like one in the lotto, if we can't embody it, we can't sustain it. Well, enough of that. I'm I I've done a lot of shows and I'm super stoked about tonight's show. I'm very excited. I think we're gonna have a wonderful conversation. Tonight the topic is heart brain coherence. And our guest tonight is Roland McCready. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. Hey, I wanted to give a shout out to India. 
you guys rock. You're a big percentage of our listening audience. India, way to do it. Way to way to pull the strings. I'm delighted to to have you as part of our audience. It it's a curious thing the the eastern and the western um philosophies, uh, attitudes, approaches um uh, it always fascinates me how um, the polarity, divine masculine, divine feminine, Eastern versus Western, um, I'm, we could go into that all day long. I think we're going to have plenty to talk about, so I think we should get right to it. Again, our topic tonight is heart-brain coherence, and our guest is Roland McCready. Roland is the Director of Research at the Heart Math Institute and Research Center. As a cycle, um, sociologist, Dr. McCready's interests include the, the mechanisms of emotion, the heart-brain communication, and the Global interconnectivity, the global interconnectivity between people and the Earth's energetic systems. I like that right there. Findings from this research have been applied to the development of tools and technology to optimize individual and organizational health, performance, and quality of life. Dr. McCready has acted as principal investigator in numerous studies examining the effects of emotions on heart-brain interactions and on autonomic cardiovascular, hormonal, and immune system functions and outcome studies to determine the benefits of positive emotion-focused intentions and the heart rhythm coherence feedback in diverse organizational, educational, and various clinical populations. Join me in welcoming Dr. Roland McCready to the show. Welcome to the show. Well, hi, Les. Um, Thank you. It's uh, great to be here with you this evening. I'm just reading your credentials and... um, the effects of emotions on heart-brain interactions and autonomic, cardiovascular, hormonal, and immune system function. Wow, that sounds fascinating. So, tell me uh, how how does how do you get into work like this? To give us a, <laughs> a snapshot of of how your life path has been for you. Oh wow, uh, boy, that's let me see if I can give you the, the Cliff Notes version of that. Uh, we did spend too too long uh, going through my history here, but I guess uh, it probably starts as a kid. I was uh, my uh, grandfather was a small town mechanic, so I spent a lot of time there learning how things worked and and all that. And and uh, he was um, anyway a pretty pretty smart guy, and so I learned a lot as a, as a very early kid and always had a fascination with uh, electricity and these, these types of things and a curiosity. Even as a small kid, I was the kind of kid building Heath kit, radio, you know, radios and stuff in, in uh, junior high school and that kind of thing. If you get, you get nice. there, you, I know you're an engineer as well in the background. So anyway, I, I um, joined the military to get out of small town, Nebraska and, and uh, uh, ended up, uh, well, the way I I was the first volunteer army of the all all volunteer army, and uh, you got where you got to choose your job, you know, and uh, right to entice us. So I picked the longest uh, job that had in electronics that there was in the military. I scored super high on all the aptitude tests, so I got to do that. Had no idea what it was. I didn't have a clue what it was. Ended up being uh, air to, air defense missile systems and high level support for that. So I, I spent half of my military career in school, actually, at uh, Redstone Arsenal, NASA base in, in, uh, in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I had a great ride through all that. 
and then the other half getting flown around with helicopters to troubleshoot and fix, you know, um, missile systems across Europe. Because uh, I was the guy they sent out to fix things when others others couldn't that, that level of stuff. So after that, I used the um, my benefits to go to University of Nebraska and and uh, in electrical engineering, and then went to work for Motorola. And through that period, less I kept asking professors, well, what is a magnetic field or an electric field, this kind of thing, if you will, you know, those kind of questions. And all I would get, and I'm, I suspect you can relate to this, was the formulas describing how they behave, how they radiate, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, no, 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 I want, what, what actually is it? And it was more, don't ask that, you know, go away, <laughs> was kind of the attitude there. Um, uh, and I, I don't think we really still have the answer to that, that question that I was asking as more or less a kid, you know, in my early 20s at that time. And I stumbled onto a book, in, actually in the bookstore at the University of Nebraska, that was delving into consciousness and things that I had never considered or even heard of before, you know, these kind of concepts. And I got me intrigued, and I ordered a bunch more books that they talked about. And and I'll, I'll make a long story short, I, I ended up moving to California um, to get a degree in consciousness studies, which I did. And... So that kind of was a change in direction. So I, meanwhile, I'd worked for Motorola, you know, and doing a lot of work in, in uh, communications engineering and, and stuff. Or, you know. And then I um, got involved in, through that experience and some people I met in introducing spirulina to the world. We were the first to do that, which is a superfood, if you haven't heard of it, that could... And the motive behind that was to feed the world's hungry populations. It's something you could, and uh, again, I'm trying to keep a, a long, much longer story short here. But anyway, the uh, National Enquirer, which I blew me away at uh, how much power they had, did a front page article on this spirulina stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'll never forget the headlines. Doctors praise safe new diet pill. Um, lose weight and never be hungry again. You know, big block letters. And in the, the next literally two to three weeks, I, in the company that I was running and started and was helping run, I wasn't the founder of it, but um, I wrote about a little over $20 million in, in sales of the, the stuff. And that, that's a whole other story, but I won't go there. But anyway, we took the profits of this to go to the, the deserts of Southern California. And meanwhile, I was in California. And uh, to build, to prove that you could go to the middle of a desert and build this stuff and feed hungry people. And way, way ahead of our time. This was in the 80s, early 80s. And the we did, we actually did it. I mean, these giant three-story tall solar-powered stray briars, you know, in the deserts and everything. And But it went nowhere. And in looking, you know, back on that period less, I, I now would say that's when my idealism bubble got popped because it, it didn't go anywhere. It wasn't because of the technology. We had it. It existed. It was simple. It was a problem in consciousness of, of leadership, of leaders of the countries and things that blocked all, all these kind of efforts. And, you know, meanwhile, I've got a degree in consciousness studies, right? And I've learned meditate, all these various meditation techniques and this and all these this and that's, you know, of things that you do and, and that kind of studies. And that become more of a visceral understanding than, you know, a conceptual understanding. So I basically said, oh, the heck with this, you know, humanitarian stuff. I'm going to go make money again. So I started another company, which was an electronics type problem solving company in the field of electrostatics, which became very successful very quickly. And and uh, don't get me wrong, I had a great time, you know, and, but a few years into that, uh, there was a deeper inner feeling, you know, uh, or yearning, I guess, that another sports car on the driveway or another trip to scuba diving trip or something wasn't really going to do the you know, I wasn't super wealthy, but I could do pretty much what I wanted when I wanted. And um wasn't going to do it for me. And then I, through some friends, met uh, who was the, became the founder of HeartMath, a guy named Doc Childry. And I was uh, he was on the East Coast at that time. And I said, I'll stop by and meet this guy. So he's been recommended through some friends. Spend an hour or two and, you know, see what he's up to. And three days later, I finally left uh, for that first meeting. <laughs> and he... Um, he introduced me, you know, and, and you know, and, and when you study meditation, you know, and you get go deeper into these kind of studies. Of course, everybody always talks about the heart, right? Um, you know, it's the 
chapter one in Chinese medicine or Buddhism and well, even Christianity, you know, uh, is uh, the hearts mentioned in very deep, meaningful ways. Anyways, but it's always kind of a metaphor. It's kind of what it comes in. But Doc was, Doc Chilly was saying something quite different from his research and his experience. And I would say through that period, I had my first real uh, awakening experience, heart awakening experience. And uh, so I decided to, to, by following my own inner guidance at that time after that, uh, to sell the company and uh, kind of join up with him and uh, help found what became HeartMath. So that's a very kind of long-winded but also very short version of the story. Well, it gives us some some background and, and we understand what context you've, you've come to this um, platform with. I mean... Um, you are the director of research at the HeartMath Institute and Research Center. The audience can go to heartmath.org if they want to learn more about that. It was funny, you were talking about flying around in helicopters working on gear. I remember in uh, all the TV stations had their own helicopter. I remember flying around working on microwave tracking systems so we could have a, a linked up uh, live video feed from the helicopter. It and and both you and I kind of came up through the electronic world or electricity world, and then we were eventually nudged into our heart or whatever. I just find that curious. Well, now, if I think of myself as a, a persona, I mean, there's billions of these human things, these human genomes on the planet, and here I am one, and here you are one, and the listeners one. If we think of this as a, like a vehicle of consciousness, and then we um, we we hone in on on the notion of, well, we have a brain in our head and we have a heart in our chest and there's a coherence between these two aspects of ourselves. I mean, the very topic of the show, the heart-brain coherence. Uh, Most of us are uh, quite comfortable in our brain, in our ego, going through social media churning through all our thoughts day after day. But when we look at the heart as a as a companion or whatever to the brain and, and there's this notion of coherence, how would you break that down? Uh, okay. Well, we could talk for a very long time about this, about <laughs> your question right now, but let me start by... You know, you talked about, you know, we have a, I'll call it a cranial brain and all the neurons in our head. And um, and don't, get, where I'm going to go, don't get me wrong, because I want a brain and I want it to work really well. Um, but I also want to upgrade the software that's running it, if that makes sense. And I'll come sure. back to that. The heart also has a brain. And there's a, a field that studies this that discovered it and really has done years of research on mapping out its anatomy and functions and so on. It's called neurocardiology. And the field that within the field of neurocardiology, in fact, the kind of the leader of that crowd, he's retired now, but a good, very good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Drew Armour, uh, coined the term heart brain to describe the function of the what's technically called the intrinsic cardiac nervous system. And so the neural system in the heart the, the, the heart, literal heart brain, and the reason that he justifies calling it that is these, these neural structures in the heart um, have been proven scientifically to have short-term memory, long-term memory, neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, and the way they're all wired to get, you know, interconnected within the what are called ganglia, the groups of neurons that are all then interconnected together. To, to really say it, it operates as an independent functional brain. Now, of course, the number of neurons is much smaller, but uh, in, you know, in the heart brain than what we have in our head. But but that's we have to be careful about number of neurons and trying to assign you know things to them. But then within the heart, there's also um, thousands, around forty, fifty thousand, what are called sensory neurons that sense things like pressure, rhythm, 
etc. But they also sense and de detect biochemistry. What um, and if you think about it less, if you wanted to put a a structure in the body somewhere to really know what was going on in the blood, you know what hormones and neurochemicals and stuff were were flowing through the system. Where would you put that system, right? I mean, the heart just kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So the heart brain actually sends far more information to the brain up in our head than the other way around. Now, that may sound like some new discovery, that the heart sends far more information to the brain and the brain sends to the heart, but it's actually not. This has actually been known since the late 1800s when... Uh, neuroanatomists were really starting to map out the, you know, the, the nervous system and the different functions in the body and so on. And in fact, psychology was based on this uh, from, you know, the late, late 1800s, 1880s on up to about the 1930s. This was very well known and understood. And then the pendulum swung to, uh, it's all about the brain. And it, in that era, and it, you have to keep in mind that this is a, a time in history that we didn't even know about hormones yet. I mean, they, the first hormone wasn't discovered till the 1930s, you know. Um, so anyway, um, in looking back, you know, some, some big leaps and assumptions were made that it's all about the brain. And, and they really did believe that, that in that era that if you, you know, cut the head off and, did, and give it the blood flow and everything and the oxygen it needs, that it would be just fine. Now, nobody believes that anymore. That's, it's, that's a ridiculous perspective into in the modern world. Now we now understand about how the, the brain and body and all that work together. So anyway, a um, particular research group uh, started, who were the first to point, point out that there's something wrong with the model, that it's all about the brain and the body and all the nerves in the body just jump to the brain's tunes. And it was uh, looking at the heart when they, they found this. So in other words, we have a you know important part of our physiology is called the autonomic nervous system, you know, which is the two branches, the sympathetic and the, the parasympathetic. I won't go into a lot here, but but supposedly they believed at that time that these were just dumb wires, more or less you could think of, and that the brain told the body to speed things up, that the heart rate would speed up, and it'd go to the adrenal gland, the adrenal glands, and we'd spit out more adrenaline and sort of and so on, uh, even though they didn't know quite know about it yet, but. What was later discovered is that the heart in particular was not obeying what they thought it would. In other words, you'd be having more signals go down the, the branch of the nervous system that should speed up heart rate, but the heart would slow down instead, or vice versa. And in fact, reading the, uh, studying the scientific literature of that era, the researchers were, were saying things in their scientific publications in peer-reviewed journals that the heart is acting like it has a mind of its own. All right. Of course, they didn't know about the heart brain at that time. Yeah, but they they went on then to find that not only was the heart uh, acting independently, but that it somehow knew ahead of time what the brain's next role or function needed to be, and was sending signals that either facilitated or, or caused different brain changes uh, to help the brain perform better. And they introduced two terms and this is in the 1970s now, to describe the effects that the, ner the activity that the, the neural, through the nervous system, the heart was sending to the brain, and that's called, those terms were called neural, I'm, I'm sorry, not neural, but cortical inhibition, and that's cortex, the part of our brain we get paid to go to work for, is either inhibited or cortical facilitation. And then it took um, a bunch of years to sort out all the mechanisms, but that's all pretty, very clearly understood now how all that works. Um, so we now know that the signals the heart sends to the brain go to every major brain center and have profound influences on the, the, what the brain is doing, but especially how we're perceiving things. Uh, so there are direct connections from the heart to a part of the brain called the amygdala, for example, which is our emotional uh, centers. So when we, hopefully less when you, I don't know if uh, you, you fell in love, you know, however many times you fell in love with your wife, you didn't probably tell your, your spouse, I love you with all of my brain. <laughs> right? No, right? That probably wouldn't go over very well. Because we, <laughs> we intuitively and intrinsically know that there's something about the heart that has to do with these deeper, what we tend to call in, in our general language, heartfelt feelings, right? 
that, that it really is involved in these deeper uh, types of emotions. Well, the it, so if, if I look at um, the intelligence of the heart, so what if we what if we gave our our brain a, a holiday and and told it not to uh, direct or choose or initiate action and allowed the the intelligence of the heart to run the whole rodeo for like let's say two weeks and if we could do this collectively with all of humanity in other words all of humanity moves out of their cranial sense of self and f- fully embodies their heart intelligence do you think that would uh, eliminate the possibility of violence towards each other? In other words, does the heart have a um, a, a built-in compassion or a built-in sense of, of morals or scruples? Uh, let me tell you about a research study, to, and then to, before I answer that question, okay? Okay. So one one of the things that we've heard for well, since almost the beginning of us, us providing to what we, you know, the heart math techniques, you know, which help people maintain their composure in the midst of chaos and really get the heart and brain in sync and, you know, which improves decision making and then lowers blood pressure. I mean, there's over 500 studies now showing that getting our heart and, heart and brain coherence has a wide range of benefits. Um, I mean, a very wide range. It really helps almost anything we do in life, in fact. But one of the most common things that people say after these practices is that their intuition is like on steroids. I mean, it, it's not, not subtle. It's a radical change. Uh, if they're accessing an inner guidance system, the inner voice from a much deeper place than just, you know, mental self-talk. And then the second thing they typically say is, and synchronicities have become a way of life or just noticeable the, the differences in that. So that, um, Combined with my my own intuitions and, and research, from a research perspective, we conducted a series over a few years of very rigorous lab-based studies. You know, and this is where we got p- people that were hooking on their, were monitoring their brainwave activity and their electrocardiograms and skin conductance and these types of measures. And the protocol of first series of studies was you sitting at a computer screen and uh, you press a button and you, you're staring at a blank screen. Meanwhile, recording all the squiggly lines, right? The brain waves and the electrocardiogram and so on. And then um, a picture shows up that you see. And these photographs are really either really edgy ones, you know, for that are, are well known in research to elicit certain types of emotions. You know, that might be a, st- a snake striking the screen, you know, really, or a. Um, bad guy with a knife at a woman's throat. I mean, you know, car edge right. stuff like that. Yeah. Or 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 you're getting an image of bunny rabbits and flowers and, you know, nature scenes and things like that. Now, the key to understanding this is there's no way that you could possibly know what this future image is going to be. The computer doesn't even know. It's, it's a truly random process that determines that image after the data has been recorded. Okay. Now, what these studies showed and they've been, by the way, these have been repeated, and even meta-analysis is done now, uh, independent of us, is that the heart in particular knew ahead of time and changed its activity, its, its the neural information that was sending to the brain, which we can actually measure, that would then inform the brain prior to seeing the image what the future image was going to be. Okay, so it was really heart you know, we talk about the gut feeling on intuition, but it's really the heart first. The heart sends a measurably different neural signal to the brain. Then you have a, a brain change in response and then a body response, you know, the uh, where it becomes a conscious feeling is the actual process. So the way I got that published in, you know, peer-reviewed scientific journals of that era, this is in the late, probably late 90s, we did that with those studies was to say that the heart appears to have access to a field of information outside the boundaries of time and space. And plus that was a perfectly acceptable language at that time in, in scientific journals, because things like entanglement and 
uh, non-locality had been experimentally proven, except they were only supposed to occur at subatomic scales at that time. Now we know that if that's that is not a limitation now in quantum physics. That's way been blown past of macroscopic scales and whole groups of atoms and so on. We were we but we were showing this happening in the heart. Now in a way that that's code. I'm a little more out of the closet these days. Um, kind of hard to do much with me. I'm pretty well published in, in, in the scientific world, but I would ask you and the listeners to think about, well, what the heck is a field of information outside the boundaries of time and space that the heart is accessing? And so what I would suggest that, we're, we're, that it really is, is uh, that, let me say it this way, Les, we have, I'm just saying that we have two hearts, physical heart and what we call the energetic heart. Now, it's been called the spiritual heart for millennia you know, in, in uh, a lot of different traditions. But uh, I'm just saying it's real and with real structure. And uh, the energetic heart is the bridge, almost like radio transmitter, if you want to think of it in that, those kind of analogies, I know you can relate to that, to what we tend to think of as our higher self, you know, or you can think of it as your soul or your spirit or um, whatever we want to want to call it. It's just, it's, um, we didn't hear at HeartMath, we just call it our larger self. It's our, the part of ourself that's, that we can't put under a microscope, the energetic body and system that is, is literally vibrating and operating in another dimension of consciousness. And that's when we meditate or people you know, pray, all these things, that's what they're really trying to do is access that deeper part of themselves. I'm just saying the, the energetic heart, which is connected to the physical heart, but also energetically radio wave kind of way uh, connected to all the DNA and all the cells and, and so on is really what um, we're, we're learning to access. And when we open that channel to our larger self, that's what evolves our personal consciousness. We start to become more aware because consciousness is evolving, you know, uh, both at, both at our personal individual level and as, as humanity. So that's really the straight line way or the fastest way to evolve our personal consciousness and awareness is to learn how to get our heart and brain in coherence and open that channel to our larger self. And that's what elevates our own consciousness, our own awareness. Uh, so that it's not really about the, the brain or the heart. It's about the two starting to work in partnership. And as we practice this over time, it, kind of a metaphoric way to say is it downloads a new operating system into the, the mind-brain system. But like I said, the mind's great. We want, we want a mind and I want it to work well. The problem is the operating system that people are stuck in. Um, it's what tip, a lot of people would call 3D consciousness. And that needs to get an upgrade to, to the next jump in, in, uh, in human awareness and consciousness. And that's when we start um, making a lot better decisions in life and being access to that or more intuitive inner guidance system. And I've rambled on quite a bit there, so hopefully that was a no. long answer to your, to your question. Hey, great content. Ramble all you want. The, uh, okay, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm in that experiment, and here's a blank screen, and either a snake that's going to bite me or a beautiful bouquet of flowers is coming, and my heart precedes the actual event, and and prepares me for what is about to happen. Now, the, the, in that context, it, it the um, the information is is very temporally small. This image is going to pop up, and then it'll be gone, and that'll be the end of it. What I'm getting at is, if the energy uh, heart wisdom is from our higher self. I know a lot of times people, uh, what I'm getting at is a life purpose of the soul. So when our soul chooses to incarnate, it it comes, it conjures up a plan or a, a strategy and then it crosses its fingers and the ego shows up. <laughs> but um, what I'm getting at is, um, I. For me, the, the higher self has a perception of what our life can be in a, in a much more multidimensional realm in which our ego pretty much sucks at, pro at processing multidimensional, uh, quote, reality, unquote. Can this, uh, can this wisdom from our hearts 
um, show us like narratives or timelines or I mean, in uh, other words? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. With practice and time as we really get that alignment, it absolutely can. So I have to be somewhat careful here because I am a scientist, right? And uh, and I'd like to distinguish what I can prove here in the lab and through experiments and what I also know through my own inner experience and, and travels and connections with the heart. Um, but I, as I was you know, saying earlier, is when we make that connection to our larger self, that is what elevates our consciousness and a lot of understanding of, of the way we're really wired and what evolution of consciousness is really about. And I would just say that we incarnate, if you will, um, many, many, many times on the evolution, on our journey to evolve our, our consciousness and our awareness. That's really what Earth, from my perspective, is about. It's a, an advanced school. That's a, a more dense system um, where it's, it's really a gift to be able to come to Earth and go through that, that process to uh, be able to be here in this level of density, you know, eat hamburgers and... <laughs> Uh, all the kind of things we get to do in this level of density. Um, and, but that's the the wake-up experience is being able to really wake up to who we really are. And like I say, the mind's not a bad bad thing. And these are, neither is the ego from my perspective. The problem is the unmanaged ego. And that's right. the, the kind of the hallmark of 3D consciousness, which I'll just say, think of that as the operating system that's running the brain. Uh, it just doesn't know that there's way uh, upgrades that can be done. And 3D has, um, you know, dominated the planet for a very long time. And what the shift, from my perspective anyway, Les, that everybody's talking about these days, that's kind of in the know, that, you know, the shift it is a, a shift in consciousness. It's an evolutionary leap, leap that we're actually well, humanity is well into. may not see it by watching the news, but that um, what's going on in the world is part of that shift from my perspective. Right. Anyway, I'm going off topic here a little bit now maybe, but... Um, so basically, yes. Um, you know, you you started the show by saying, you know, when when Christ was here, he was talking about how we could do everything he did and more. Well, I'm saying the same thing, but but that takes increasing our consciousness to a level to a vibrational rate of of what Christ was walking around with at that time. And so he was just saying that that's possible for all humans. We all have a heart, and we all have access to our larger self. It just takes a lot of us a lot of lifetimes to finally wake up to that understanding and, uh, you know, for the mind to finally surrender to the guidance of the heart. And then the mind gets an upgrade. It gets a new operating system installed. The, the mind surrenders to the heart. I like that. Um, I really like that a lot because um, for so many people, their their mind decides everything. Well, I think I'll be an engineer. I think I'll go to school. I think I'll work over here. I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that. And 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 the ego's got the hand on the steering wheel, so to speak. And then there comes this notion that there's this other intelligence in us, our that energetic heart. It, it our egos aren't always so quick to let go of the steering wheel and trust how do you how do you uh, uh teach the ego the value of letting go and trusting the wisdom of the heart yeah it, it's from my experience it's a process less it, it's um like i said it takes most of it, most of us here on the planet lifetimes to learn how to do that that's really what we keep coming back to learn, you know, on, our, on the evolution of consciousness that it is that goal to, to finally learn that, how to do that. It's just right now, it's, it's a, a time on the planet that that's being facilitated so that we can really jump a whole lot of lifetimes right now uh, by um, practicing like, well, heart math techniques. That's what heart math is all about, is helping facilitate that process um, of really connecting with the intelligence of the heart or, or to our larger self. And it, it takes practice. And, you know, I mean, how, let, me, let me say it this way. Uh, something a lot of people can probably relate to. Because it's not like we're all disconnected from our heart. It's just more that the ratios are more the, you know, the, the 3D mind operating system that we're, we're living from, which has basically um, been programmed by, you know, in childhood, you know, in our peers and history and what we're taught. 
And uh, that could shift very quickly if um, once we start teaching children, you know, the, the new stuff rather than all the stuff we have to unlearn later in life. Um, but how many times, maybe even in the last week or so, have you, while you're, your mind, you're thinking about something or you're asked to do something or think you wanted to, you know, buy something, do something, whatever, but you have a deeper inner feeling, just a deeper inner sense that maybe that's not the best choice, right? So we, we might have that fleeting moment, that deeper feeling, but we go ahead and go, go down the road of what, you know, our mind choice was only to discover as it plays out that, God, I wish I had listened to that inner, inner sense. Right. Um, how many times, have, you know, does that happen in life if you think about it? Well, that that that's really what I'm talking about. It's that deeper inner voice that that's really our. Once we get onto it and learn about it, it's, it becomes our best friend and starts connecting us more with who we really are at, at the deeper level. Then you you also alluded to this. So when on when we kind of come to the planet and that we we do have a blueprint from my perspective of what lessons we're going to learn and more or less who we're going to meet up with and when and so on in life. Uh, and the more heart aligned we are, the more that blueprint that we're in alignment with it. And we get the more opportunity we have to really grow and get the most out of that life, the journey of that lifetime. Whereas if we get stuck too much in the, the mind and the 3d, you know, the self absorption and all that goes with that, the less we are in alignment with that. So we have to come back and repeat that over until we finally get it. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. So the, now the heart math Institute, I mean, you guys organize uh, global coherence efforts, I think. And uh, just share with the audience, uh, kind of the some of the mechanisms and the results that you've noticed um, through the HeartMath platform over the years. Okay, I think you're asking me to go into the, the more the Global Coherence Initiative work, which is, um, I'm, ha- well, I'm happy to do it. Some well, of my, favorite my, stuff. My, um, my, my intent is for the audience to get examples of the effects of of um, bringing the coherence of the heart and the brain. I mean, what are the consequences? What have you noticed working with this over time? Well, I mean, uh, on the personal level, once we get our, our heart and brain in coherent and get into a coherent heart state, which is easily measurable, by the way. Uh, there's even very inexpensive technology. People can do this at home, practice it. One of the there's so many benefits. Like I mentioned earlier, there's there's over 500 independent studies now showing benefits. Everything from improved health, you know, faster recovery from health challenges to better performance, whether you're a professional athlete and golf, to better hormonal balance. I mean, on and on the list goes for personal benefits. But I would say one of the biggest benefits for people is that, that once we connect with that deeper part of ourselves, comes a deeper inner security i mean from a deep place inside of us that really knows that we can handle whatever we draw in life and that is such a gift once people hit that point because it it just basically knocks out the majority of stress and anxiety that people experience negative future projections and these types of things um because we know we're operating from that intuitive guidance and and we're making better choices and, and we're not drawing as much of the stuff that the stressful stuff in life but let me bridge that to more of the social, if I may here. That's I think is where sure. you want, want me to go anyway. When we put electrodes on the body to measure your electrocardiogram, put them across the chest, or we, or we stick them on the head to measure brain waves, the electroencephalogram it's called, what's being measured by the electrodes is current flow. It, it's why it's called the electrocardiogram. We're literally measuring electrical current flow, electricity. Now, that's what the electrodes measure. But you know, science 101, right? You learn this stuff in probably grade school these days, that whenever there's a flow of electrical current, you know, in science class, that is, you create a magnetic field. And I know this is something you you also know a lot about. 
And magnetic and electric fields are different animals. Uh, they have different characteristics. And one of the properties of a magnetic field is it goes through things. That's why cell phones work indoors or radios, right? It's a magnetic component that goes through the walls, the windows, and so on, and, and uh, why we can do that. So when the heart beats and we measure the electrocardiogram, that current flow, a magnetic field is also produced. And that field radiates easily through the skin and radiates broadcasts out into the space around us. Now, to measure it, you have to use a different instrument. It's called a magnetometer. It measures magnetic fields. So we can measure the magnetic field of the heart, you know, a number of feet away from the body using the, the same instrument or the same type of magnetometers at the same sensitivity settings. You can measure a brain wave about an inch away. So clearly the heart field is the big field in terms of our energetic system. Uh, and the fields that we can actually measure. Now, I'm not, this is something how I know, the reason that I can say this with such confidence is I can stick a sensor out here and measure it, you know, measure it from anybody, anytime. It, it's just basic, basic physics. Now, one of the things we did um, back in the 90s, again, is you, this is more of my background as a communication engineer came in really helpful, using the same, almost exactly the same kind of techniques and technology to measure the information being, or decode or demodulate, it's called in, in radio communications, as you know, Les, um, we were able to see that the field of the heart is carrying information, just like our cell phone does. You know, we're using the field to carry the, the text message, the voice, you know, now these days our images, whatever. The heart's uh, doing the same thing. It's, so we're broadcasting for sure our emotional state. So we can tell with 75% accuracy, at least these days, what somebody's feeling just by looking at the information being broadcast by the, the field, uh, the, mag the heart's magnetic field. So then that led to experiments to show that our, our nervous systems act like big antennas, if you will, and they're exquisitely tuned to other biologically generated fields. In other words, other fields generated by other people. And not so much other types of fields, you know, way out of the, the right frequencies and amplitudes. There's a window effect, as it's called. So what I'm saying, there, there really is a measurable energetic communication that's always going on between people. When we're, you know, whether it's a couple or within groups, there's this, this energetic communication that's going on. That for most people, under the, under the level of a conscious awareness. But nevertheless, it's there and has measurable effects. Even physiological effects can, can be measured happening between people. So, um, you know, if we're really upset and angry and we walk into a room, you know, uh, people feel that, not just through our body language and tone of voice. It, it's actually energetically palatable. And, and we all know this. We have sayings in our language, right? God, the tension was so thick in the room you could cut it with a knife. Or, oh, God, it felt really good being around them. You know, those kinds of things. And, we had it right back in the 60s, you know, good vibes and bad vibes and, and so on. And that's language that seems to be coming back in, in uh, today's youth, too, now. But anyway, so that um, you kind of think of it as at the living room level, right, uh, you know, or the workplace level, this energetic communication that's going on through the fields that we're radiating. But in a, our global coherence initiative project, it's taking that a step farther. And let me give you a little um, we don't have time to go too in-depth here, but let me just try and connect a couple of dots. So we all live within the magnetic fields of the Earth. So we all know we have a, what's called the geomagnetic field, right? You know, the North Pole, the South Pole. Uh, so this is a, a field that, thank God we have it. It's what protects Earth from solar wind and so on. Without the, the Earth's magnetic fields, life would not exist as we know it anyway. Earth would turn into Mars very quickly. All the atmosphere would be blown away in the water and so on. But one of the things I, I didn't learn less, when I, even in, uh, as a communication engineer, it wasn't until I got into measuring the Earth's fields. We have sites all around the world now to measure the what's called the resonant frequencies in, in the Earth's magnetic fields that magnetic fields, you can pluck them just like a guitar string, what are called field lines. And just to help the listeners understand that, most of us back in science class, we time travel back to when we were in school, you have to dump iron filings on a glass plate. Right? And you stick your magnet under the glass plate, whether it's a bar magnet or a horseshoe, whatever, and the iron filings kind of magically jump around and, and show you the shape of this invisible field. But 
recall that those iron filings line up in parallel lines next to each other, depending on whatever the shape of the field is. So we're in that really simple experiment, we're also able to visualize what are called magnetic field lines or flux lines, as they're sometimes called. And those are the things, those field lines that you can pluck like a guitar string and they vibrate. And just like on a guitar or any stringed instrument, I'm just using guitars here, but the length of the string or the line and the tension determines its resonant frequency or note that it vibrates at, right? So the field lines of Earth are very long, and they have so they have a very low frequency when they when they get plucked. And what's plucking the field lines of Earth is the solar wind rushing by. Now remember, Earth is turning, and you know so is the sun, and so the solar wind rushing by at a million miles per hour, it pushes the magnetic field in on the daytime side and stretches out on the nighttime side, the stuff we learned back in science class. Well, as the Earth is turning in that and the, the solar wind is rushing by, it's plucking the field lines and they're vibrating. And that's what we mean by the resonant frequencies. What, what's the, what are they vibrating at? Well, as it turns out, uh, this blew me away when I discovered this in I'm actually, I think, connected the dots, and I wasn't the first to, to discover field line resonances. That's what, actually what they're called in the scientific literature. But the primary resonant frequency versus magnetic field lines vibrating in frequency language is 0.1 hertz. So that means that, uh, a full vibration every 10 seconds you know, in time, which is way below our hearing ability. But nevertheless, these are quite strong magnetic field line resonances. Well, when I'm, we talk about the heart being in a coherent rhythm, you know, when we, and we, we go into co coherent heart rhythms naturally when we feel good, when, we're, when we feel appreciation or kindness, these kinds of heartfelt feelings, shifts our physiological system into this coherence we're talking about. Well, we have a resonant frequency too, a literal measurable resonant frequency. And this just has to do with the, the communication between the heart, lungs, and brain, and it, it's 0.1 hertz. It's exactly the same as the, the vibrating fields of Earth. So through, even though the field that our heart's generating is, is quite small, you know, I mean, it, you can measure it feet away, but it's the same frequency as the magnetic fields, the vibrating field lines of Earth. So we have the basic physics to understand through what's called resonant coupling. So just to click on that for a minute if you you know most of us back in science class got to do the experiments or seen demonstrations that if you have two tuning forks of the same frequency and you tap one the other will start to vibrate in unison with it even though you never touched it and that's uh, of course you know we have air molecules mediating that energy and information transfer in that case but it's exactly the same in magnetic fields right um, it's how radios work, right? I mean, I'm, I'm old enough. We used to have to turn the dial on the radios to tune in the station. Uh, <laughs> I know you're, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about, Les, because you have a similar background. But what we're doing is we're changing the resonance of that circuit in that radio to where it's the same as the vibrating magnetic field. And as soon as we do that, voila, we transfer the energy and the information, and we're listening to the radio station or having our phone call, right? because um, all those fields are there around everybody right now. So the fact that basically what I'm long-windedly trying to say here is that when two systems vibrate or oscillate at the same frequency, you, tra you can transfer energy and information between them. So in the human context, our heart rhythms are the same as the primary resonant frequencies of the vibrating magnetic field lines of Earth. And there's a second set of magnetic rhythms that are a completely different mechanism. I don't have time to go into them in detail here, but they're called Schumann resonances. And these are magnetic waves that are bouncing around between the Earth and the bottom of the ionosphere. And there's eight of those, and they are the same as our brain waves. They all overlap. So what we have is the fundamental understanding now and mechanism to see how that, that it's really a two-way communication system between all of us, less humanity, and the Earth's magnetic field systems. I call it the global information field that we're all adding to and being affected by. Uh, usually, uh, for most people, at an unseen level. Although sometimes we we feel it. You know, you can wake up in the morning and feel out of sorts for no reason, and then turn on the news and find out there was a big solar 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 storm and the field is disturbed, things like that. Uh, sometimes people start connecting those dots. So, I mean, we could spend a whole show just on what I, unpacking what I just said, but hopefully that gives you an idea. 
So here, here's an, I know we're short on time, but we did an experiment where we had groups all around the world, uh, well over 100 people participating. It's called the International HRV Synchronization Study. HRV means heart rate variability, where we looked at how in sync people were with our, our heart rhythms are, because we tend to synchronize with the rhythms in the Earth's field. And I think most people know that's probably a good thing to be in sync, and, and there's a lot of studies showing us why that's true. But what we found is on one of the days, over a 15-day period, people were wearing these monikers you know, 24 hours a day for a little over two weeks. And we organized a time that these groups uh, did a what's called a heart lock-in. It's one of the heart math techniques that takes us into a heart-coherent state. And basically, they, we did this at the same time, all the groups. And they basically then get, got into a coherent heart rhythm state and then actually radiated appreciation to each other of all the people around the world. And that measure, during that 15 minutes, the groups, all the people in the groups were measurably more heart coherent, but it also increased significantly their synchronization, heart to heart synchronization with each other in the groups. Amazingly, it also had a carryover effect as I think of it and increased how in sync we were with the Earth's magnetic fields, the rhythms and the resonant frequencies for the following 24 hours. So just getting ourselves coherent gets our own system literally in sync. The heart and brain are working together harmoniously, which has all the benefits we talked about earlier. It also increases the synchronization with other people. Better listening, bit more harmony, we get along better. But it's also increasing the synchronization with the, the rhythms of the earth, the fields of the earth. So a saying here that's kind of emerged kind of organically out of, out of this work is be aware of what we're feeding the field. In other words, uh, you know, stop and ask yourself, what am I feeding the field? Am I feeding the field vibrations? Because they literally are vibrations, you know, energetically, of anxiety or frustration or impatience. Or am I feeding the field, you know, more kindness, those kind of vibrations, appreciation, compassion, and so on. Because uh, what the research is actually showing pretty more and more strongly every day is what we, we feed the field matters and actually has measurable effects in the physical world. It's kind of like what we feed the field is our own vote, a metaphorical vote. The energy we put into the field is a vote that's a reflection of our consciousness. You know, so exactly. often... Uh, uh, the media portrays such chaos and, and divisiveness and separation. But what you just so eloquently described is there's a mechanism in place from the beginning that allows us to become coherent and we don't need the internet. We don't need any mechanism of man, so to speak, but it was there from the beginning that we can um, become coherent to the field and and through that mechanism become coherent with each other and and raise our the the wisdom in which we're operating from from our own corner of the universe so to speak very 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 nice I, I love that yeah. no that's exactly right and as enough people start taking more self-responsibility for what we're feeding the field, for be, you know, uh, becoming more self-regulated, more aligned with who we really are, you know, the wisdom of our heart. We're also then feeding the field with more elevated vibrations, higher frequency vibrations. And that goes into the larger field and helps lift others as well. So, I, so right now, I mean, I think there are really two main frequencies going on, if you will, in the planetary field. Um, the stuff we see in the news that the, lo the media loves to amplify, you know, if they don't have horrible images of what's happening now, they'll drag up ones that happened last year to show you. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there's an emergence of heart awareness and heart coherence happening on the planet as well. That's, that's also a huge swelling. So it's really like there's two holograms of consciousness going on at the same time. You know, people use metaphors like light and dark. I, I don't tend to, to do that or like those, but it's, it's really two different levels of, of kind of collective consciousness that's occurring at the same time as the shift is going is occurring. Uh, so as more and more people move into that new hologram or that new um, 
operating system and, and aware, new, literally awareness, new higher vibrational consciousness, then it, it eventually will pull the rest um, you know, into that higher vibration. That's going to take some time, but, but that's what's going on from, from my perspective. Sure. Well, um, now's the time for you to talk about um, the HeartMath Institute. Your um, anything you want to share with the audience. Uh, you've been involved with films. Um, take some time now and, and convey to the audience uh, your platform. Well, our our main kind of way to to get engaged with the HeartMath, our work in HeartMath Institute is our website, heartmath.org. Uh, but we have a number of other scientific projects. You know, a lot of our, our focus these days, less is on really the study, scientific study, rigorous scientific study of interconnectivity, of how we all are interconnected energetically through the, the things I've been talking about. And we have multiple projects that are involved in that. One is we're measuring trees around the world. It's called the Global Tree Monitoring Project. So we're measuring the electrical rhythms and activity of trees uh, to look at how human consciousness at global scale is interacting with nature, if you will. Uh, and then we also have a, a project called the Global Consciousness Project 2.0, which is a, a really a very neat project. It started 25 years ago at Princeton that uh, we've, we're now the new home for and completely completely redesigned, redeveloped this system, but it allows us to, to kind of think of it as a global scientific instrument that is measuring the effects of global consciousness, you know, shifts in, in uh, when things trigger a lot of people to feel something, to pay attention and feel something after a school shooting or the start of a war, these types of things. We see this, this whole network be affected, come into a type of coherence. And then we also have an app, and I would really encourage the listeners to check out Called the, you can get it from the you know the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. It's called the Global Coherence app, and this is an, an app that it will allow your phone and the camera on your phone to actually act as a, a sensor that you can put your finger on to measure your coherence level. And it has a lot of guides in it um, that kind of will help guide you into some some free techniques how to increase your coherence. And it's uh, something not only do you see your personal coherence, but you can join different communities and groups where we do regular um, sessions to really try and uplift the consciousness, consciousness field of the planet. Um, so we're also able to measure the, the coherence of the group, of the, of the collective, with, with that app. It's a free app, and that, that's a great entry point into uh, learning about uh, this kind of work. And um, we have a lot of free tools and techniques on our website. And uh, there's also a research library, if there's anybody in the audience that loves the science. Uh, one of my books called Science of the Heart, um, volume two is a great overview, a great starting point. And if you really want to learn about the, the how to, you know, how, how do we really start increasing living from our heart, you know, not accessing our heart's intelligence, I would recommend the book called Heart Intelligence. Uh, it's a co-authored book by the, our founder, Doc Childry, myself, and a couple of my colleagues here at HeartMath. Uh, I think it's one of the best things that you could do to really get into the, the how to and the and a lot of practices in the book that you can uh, try for yourself, become a self-scientist and try this out. Well, very nice. An hour can go by pretty fast. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Well, great. Me too, Les. And uh, maybe we'll do it again someday. I like it. You're welcome on my show anytime. We've been talking to... Roland McCready, and the topic tonight has been heart-brain coherence. You know, we're, <laughs> what he was saying right at the end, how we're already uh, connected and, and there's a coherence w within humanity itself right now, to me that suggests that when when we get around to it, it'll be... It'll be easy for us. I don't know if easy is the word, but I guess you could say we're already wired for coherence uh, throughout the human condition. The mechanism for coherence throughout our humanity, the mechanism is in place now. It's always been in place. So I... Even though what the media is showing us might seem like a karmic tsunami, uh, 
it's it's really not that far of a journey, I might say, that where we can move from separation and um, chaos into coherence and communion with each other. What a powerful, what a powerful episode. I very much have enjoyed this tonight. I want to thank you, the listener. Here we are at the end of the show, and here you are too. You showed up for yourself. Always a pleasure. I appreciate you. Until next time. You've been listening to a New Human Living broadcast. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Let me ask you a question. How many times during today, this day, has your heart and soul had direct communication with you? Our egos, left unchecked, will easily consume all of our thoughts and consciousness as we go throughout the day, where we really are living an ego-led life. But our ego cannot even comprehend the vision our soul has for us. If you want to increase your personal power, make space throughout your day for your heart and soul to inspire you. Citizen King, The New Age of Power is a book I wrote just for that. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening.